Hi, it's John Moe. Coming up this hour on Wits, a look into the unexpected thoughts of some of our favorite literary guests. For instance, Patton Oswalt. The comedian and actor is also the author of the book Zombie Spaceship Wasteland. He joins us to provide some context for this. And what's more rock and roll than a wolf and a cannon about to shoot? And monologist, actress, author, Saturday Night Live alum Julia Sweeney shares a story about having the talk with her daughter. It does not go smoothly. Maybe we can look on Wikipedia and it will show you. Plus music from two of our favorite singer-songwriter authors, Josh Ritter and John Darnielle from The Mountain Goats. On the morning when I woke up without you For the first time I was real cold So I pulled on a sweater All this and author Neil Gaiman being very silly, coming right up. From APM, American Public Media, and Minnesota Public Radio, this is Wits. I'm John Moe. On this week's program, we're getting a little bookish, a bit library-oriented. But please know, I am the kind of sexy librarian who wears the glasses and puts my hair up, but then if I take off my glasses and remove one pin from my hair, it all cascades down and I'm beautiful. Hey, it's radio. Can you prove I'm wrong? Okay, then. This hour, some visits from guests who write books, not all of whom you might think of as authors. Patton Oswalt is a friend of our show. You may know him from his stand-up comedy, his roles on The King of Queens, Ratatouille, Big Fan, Young Adult. He's also an author, and he shared a selection from his book, Zombie Spaceship Wasteland. This is a, this is a excerpt from a chapter called Mary C. Runfola Explains Her Gift, uh, Gifts. This is my grandmother, uh, uh, the late Mary C. Runfola, who was an awesome person and gave the most nonsensical, near-hallucinatory gifts <laughs> I've ever received in my life. Um, and then, and, and it was so clear that she was happy. She was more, she was way more excited to explain why she's giving you the gift than, the, than experiencing the joy of giving you something that actually applied to you. And um, so here we go. For my eighth birthday, I received a picture of Chuck Yeager signed to someone named Jimmy. (laughs) And I really, she really gave me this. Well, I know how much you like that Space Battles movie, and I thought, yes, all right, dear, Star Wars. So, anyway, I was at this rummage sale, and they had a table. Well, one man there had a table, and I don't think he was with the rummage sale people because he had his table set up a little bit off to the side. Well, he had two tables. One table was all these photographs of celebrities, and the other table had a large beach towel over it, and I couldn't see what was under the beach towel, but I was standing there looking at the different pictures, and every now and then, a young man would come up to the man selling pictures, and all these young men either had these really close crew cuts or blonde hair, and they looked as if a punch in the face could get up and walk around and wear clothing. And the man selling pictures would let them lift the towel and it looked like all these knives and Nazi stuff and the punch in the face men would buy a knife or a patch. Maybe they were actors buying props for a stage show. (laughs) Oh, but anyway, Chuck Yeager, well, you like speak... Yes, dear, Star Wars. Well, you like that movie so much and did you know Chuck Yeager was kind of a space pilot like that Han Solo fellow? Yes, I know, Han Solo. Your grandmother didn't just fall off the pickle truck. (laughs) Han Solo and Mr. Spock and Robbie Robot and everyone else in that movie. Well, (laughs) the signature meant that Chuck Yeager actually held this photo, which makes it even more valuable. (laughs) For my 11th birthday, (laughs) I got the cassette case... The cassette case for ACDCs, for those about to rock, with a Best of Steppenwolf cassette inside of it. (laughs) Here's Grammar Unfola. Well, you wouldn't believe it. There was a blind box sale where you buy a box for 50 cents and you get whatever's in it. Except this box had been under a leaky drain pipe, so one of the corners was soaked and kind of caving in. So I talked the man down to a dime. Can you imagine? (laughs) Inside, there were 12 baby bibs that I gave to your cousin, Jesse. Maybe he could wipe something down with them in the summer. And then 
there was this cassette, and it looks like a rock band. Well, when I opened it up, there was only half a cassette, and these three big dead beetles, which I guess eat plastic, or maybe not because it's almost like they ate the plastic and then died. <laughs> but then this other cassette was in the box inside a bag of marbles, so I put it inside this case. It's got wolf in the name of the band, and on the case there's a cannon, and what's more rock and roll than a wolf and a cannon about to shoot? <laughs> For my 25th birthday, <laughs> I got a lantern shaped like an owl. I really did. Nice. Lantern shaped like an owl. <laughs> Do you remember the Frasers? They had the daughter who did gymnastics and the son who went to college and kept hugging other boys and now he's a swimming coach. Well, They knew these people who were having an estate sale last summer, so we all went out there, me and the two Frasier parents, not their kids. So we get there, and it turns out the estate sale was the day before, and we'd driven all this way. We couldn't believe it. So on the way back, driving back home, we see this antique shop, and it's the most hodgepodge-looking place I think I ever saw. And we go in, and I got this lovely hourglass that on the one side looks like an egg, but the other side of the glass is square, like a box. And Jeannie, that's Mrs. Fraser, she bought a flag for a country. I think it was Iceland. And Mr. Fraser didn't buy anything, but he loved all these old toy soldiers they had. Only he said, I don't have the space to keep them anywhere, but he sure loved them. And when we left, it was raining. I mean, we weren't too sure about going down the road we were on because it was getting muddy. So we stopped at a Hardee's, and when we were sitting down with our sandwiches, I realized I'd left the hourglass back at the store. So we asked the Hardee's if we could use their phone since it was a local call, and they were so nice. And we called, and the man from the shop drove all the way down to the Hardee's and gave me the hourglass. He was the nicest man. You could tell the people at the Hardee's knew him, and he must be popular, which is no surprise seeing how he treats his customers. The owl I bought at a Rite Aid. And then, um, finally, for my 30th birthday, your mother said to get you a Banana Republic gift certificate. <laughs> I know, I miss her presents. Yeah. I miss them. That's Patton Oswalt. When he was on the show, we played a little game with him. You see, I know that Patton is a fan of role-playing games like Dungeons & Dragons. So we got out our 20-sided dice for a little something called Dungeons and Patents. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I invite you to mentally don your wizard hats. Patton Oswald? Oh, hi, yes. It is 1985, oh. and you have traveled back in time. Uh -huh. You find yourself at an airport with two sets of tickets in your hand. What are my stats? What's my strength? <laughs> We don't have time to roll for it. Oh, we don't? All right. No. Uh, I, I do have three belt pouches, though. I'll tell okay, you that right good. now. <laughs> Thank right. you. One set of tickets takes you to Athens, Georgia, Ooh. where a young band named R.E.M. is Sounds playing lame. a, a they record... They sound lame. <laughs> <laughs> They're playing a record release party for Fables of the Reconstruction. Hmm. The other tickets take you to the 1985 San Diego Comic-Con. <laughs> oh, where God. do you go? Uh, who are the, uh, can I, as, as, the, uh, as the dungeon master, although, or as the, the... patent master. The patent master. Yeah. Uh, who are the guests at the Comic-Con? Uh, you know, I think it doesn't say. It just says you need to go and, uh, and I need see to go. who's there. Yeah. Oh, if only I knew if Gil Gerard was there. That would <laughs> really sway me. All right, so I'm looking at today's Athens, Georgia, San Diego. Um, uh... Damn it, I gotta, I gotta play my character, man. I gotta play my character. I, I would go to San Diego. You're going to Comic-Con. Yeah. Right. Sorry, I would go to All San right. Diego. Let's make sure to, let's, let's roll. roll to see if you okay. don't crash. Oh, God, all right. No, no botch, no botch. Ooh. Oh, God, I rolled a one. That's a botch. <laughs> I can't believe I rolled a one. But in Dungeons and Patents, that counts oh. for a 20, so you're okay. Oh. All right. I thought I was going to die on my way to see Manimal. <laughs> <laughs> you arrive at the convention center oh. 
Oh. And you can walk down one path and meet the best young artists of their generation. Publishers eager to publish whatever they put out, and they're eager to work on a new project missing only an idea. Oh. Or you could walk down the other path and talk to Stan Lee about his thoughts on comics as movies. I gotta see Stan the man. All right, roll. I hope I don't roll a 20 and cut his head off. <laughs> Eight. Eight, okay, all right, you're through, you're through. Okay. Um, you meet Stan Lee, he all says right. that he doubts comics could ever work as movies. The art forms just don't mesh. He wants to know what you think. Let's roll to see what I think. All right. <laughs> 11, I agree with him. Okay. You know, Stan, the second Swamp Thing movie was pretty lame, you're right. There's no future in this. Superman for the Quest for Peace was really crappy. I think it's over. Even Spider-Man? No, no. I think okay. that, uh, you know what? Uh, despite the TV series uh, starring that guy, Nicholas something, help me out. Nicholas Hammond. Um, yeah. Uh, I think that with uh, improved special effects, a la The Last Starfighter, uh, <laughs> A Spider-Man movie is uh, quite feasible. So what but only if you get Robert Preston to play Spider-Man. <laughs> a future with the Robert Preston Spider-Man. Yes, exactly. All right. Well, let's see what happens here. We need to decide your fate uh, coming out of the Comic-Con. Okay, it's a nine. It's okay. a nine. That means, yep, you've been awarded a magical amulet. Congratulations. You can choose which comics become movies, you can assign directors and actors, and you can dictate the vision of what that movie should be. What do you make first? What gets turned into a movie, and what does it look like? Jamie Farr is the Green Lantern. <laughs> and it's directed by Hal Needham. <laughs> From Smokey and the Bandit? Oh, yeah. <laughs> The Green Lantern has to get a truck full of Owen power batteries from Texarkana back to Georgia. He makes a bet with Sinestro, who's played by Paul Williams. They have, he has 24 hours. Him and the Green Arrow, his sidekick Green Arrow, played by Dom DeLuise, have got to get this truck full of power batteries back to Georgia in 24 hours. All right, all right. Let's roll to see how it does. Ooh, it's a 14. Ooh. Not bad. Nice. De decent enough for sequels. Uh-huh, not uh, sequels. <laughs> All right, and lastly, Ooh. you are at another crossroads. You can oh. choose to go back to the present time or remain where you are and conquer and manipulate the world before you. I don't even have to roll for that, my friend. I'm going to stay in the 80s, and let's just say that, let's just say that the Watchmen are going to have to tangle with Josie and the Pussycats. <laughs> Congratulations, you're victorious in Dungeons and Patents. <laughs> Patton Oswalt, comedian, author, and successful gamer when he plays himself in a role-playing game. Coming up on Wits, more comedy and music from guests who are writers of books, including Julia Sweeney, John Hodgman, and Josh Ritter. And a visit with Neil Gaiman, who displays his wicked wit of the West. This is Wits. I'm John Moe.
This is Wits. I'm John Moe. John Hodgman is an actor. He's the resident expert on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. He's a sort of judge on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. He's also an author, best known for his series of books with made-up facts, including the areas of my expertise and more information than you require. Here he is reading from the latest book in that series of complete world knowledge, That Is All. Wine is a subtle, complex creature that's freighted with so much long history and so many different styles that I, like most, presumed that it could only be enjoyed by rich jerks. (laughs) But I was wrong. While indeed wine is a noble drink, it also could not be more humble. After all, it's the simplest thing in the world to make, requiring only grapes, a yeast, human feet, (laughs) and time, plus an enormous amount of pharmaceutical-grade pseudoephedrine and various beakers and Bunsen burners. (laughs) Such is how the European peasantry made and enjoyed wine since 6000 BC. In quaint, thatched, mobile wine laboratories that still evade capture today. Of all the varieties of wine, red wine, white wine, box wine, and prison toilet wine, One kind of wine is red wine. (laughs) Red wine, named for its color, (laughs) is known to have the most healthful tannins and antioxidants. This is why the baby boomers love to drink it. For doctors agree, if you drink one glass of red wine every day, you will become immortal. (laughs) And you will also gradually transform into Francis Ford Coppola. (laughs) Red wine also offers the greatest depth of flavor, ranging from the bright berry ozone and burnt hair notes of a jammy Cabernaz Beausoleil (laughs) to the wines made from the luxuriously pungent Argentine Velociraptor grape with their blend of bitter chocolate and chewed up aluminum foil and fried crickets. These wines have the viscosity of marmite and spit. And connoisseurs know not to pour them into a glass, but to rub them on your bare chest like a poultice. Like most people, you probably believe that red wine may only be served with blood-colored meals, such as beefsteaks and heavy spaghettis with blood sauce. But it is not so. Red wines also complement meaty steak fish like tuna or thick fish. And they even go surprisingly well with some vegetarian entrees, such as flesh salad. Some famous people who enjoy red wine include Val Kilmer. But what about white wine? (laughs) White wine, a general term for any wine made from ghost grapes. (laughs) That is to say, grapes that have died and come back as ghosts. That is why white wine is always so cold. White wines are often aged in oak barrels which not only makes the wine older, sometimes by years, but it also affects the flavor dramatically. Chardonnay, in particular, is famous for its oaky, barrelly flavors. And that is why when you drink it, you feel like you are licking wooden furniture that has been made out of headaches. John Hodgman reading from That Is All. While John was writing that book, he listened to the music of the Mountain Goats a lot. The Mountain Goats showed up at the Fitzgerald Theater and sang this song. On the morning when I woke up without you For the first time I felt free And I felt lonely and I felt scared And 
I began to talk to myself almost immediately, not being used to being the only person there. The first time I made coffee for just myself I made too much of it, but I drank it all Just cause you hate it When I let things go to waste And I wandered through the house Like a little boy lost at the mall And an astronaut could have seen The hunger in my eyes from space And I sang, oh, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do without you? On the morning when I woke up without you For the first time, I was real cold So I pulled on a sweater And I turned up the heat and the walls began to close in And I felt so sad and frightened I practically ran from the living room Out into the street And the wind began to blow And all of the trees began to bend And the world in its cold way Started coming alive And I stood there a businessman waiting for a train and I got ready for the future to arrive and I sang oh what do I do what do I do what do I do what do I do without you the Mountain Goats on stage at the Fitzgerald Theater on Wits. Now, our first ever guest on Wits was Julia Sweeney, and she read this story at that show, and this story will be part of her upcoming book, If It's Not One Thing, It's Your Mother. One evening, on a school night when my daughter Mulan was eight years old, we were eating dinner together at a Thai restaurant, and she told me that her class had begun studying all about frogs. And she said, so mom, so first the frogs lay eggs, and then the eggs turn into tadpoles, and then the tadpoles turn into frogs, right? And I said, yeah, that's right, but I think it's just the females that lay the eggs. And Mulan said, oh, only the females lay the eggs? Well, what do the male frogs do then? And I said, well, they fertilize them. And she said, well, what does fertilize them mean? And I said, oh, the males make this substance inside them. It's like this co-ingredient for making tadpoles. And then they sprinkle it on the eggs. And, <laughs> and then she said, so only the females have the eggs. <clears throat> and I said, yes. And she said, is that true for humans too? Now let me freeze this scene for a moment to say <laughs> that even as I considered myself an enlightened, open-minded, sex-is-no-big-deal parent, I hadn't truly prepared myself for this moment. I mean, I had read a few parenting books, and they all seemed to advise the same thing, which was when your child starts to ask you about sex, or really anything that is complicated or multifaceted, just answer the exact question they asked. Nothing more. Do not elaborate. Don't overshare. And so in that sense, I suppose I was prepared for this moment. I wasn't going to stop and take her hand and get all watery-eyed and explain how the beautiful way that we create more children in the world, that wasn't what she was asking. She wanted to know if human women had eggs. The answer was clear and unambiguous. Yes, I said. I let there be a little pause. I tried to think of some other subject to move on to, but before I could, <clears throat> Mulan said, well, where do women keep their eggs? And I wanted to say, in a vault, in a little purse, <laughs> in a Tupperware bowl in the back of the refrigerator. But I couldn't joke. That was definitely not in the advice books, just the facts. So I said, well, funnily enough, we have evolved to have our own pond right in our own bodies. 
that's where we keep our eggs. Where is it, Mulan asked, her eyes bigger than ever. It's in our lower abdomen, inside of us, sort of below our belly button area. Well, how do the eggs get fertilized? I, by the man, I said, smiling. I looked deeply at my green curry and tried to think about how to get this conversation back to frogs. <clears throat> Mulan said, I know, but, but how? I said, well, um, he has this substance called sperm. <clears throat> um, I said this with my eyes darting around just like my mother would have done in this situation, which when I realized I was doing this, it made me momentarily overcome with the horror that I was turning into my mother, which then caused me to turn to Mulan with a focus that should have unnerved even the devil. Mulan said, I know, but how does the sperm get to the eggs, Mom? I took a deep breath and assumed a very casual pose. You could say a forcefully casual pose. And I said, oh, yes, yes, that. Well, um, the sperm uh, comes out of his penis, and it goes into the woman's vagina, and that's how the baby gets started. Isn't this green curry delicious? fork down and her face was twisted up with a look of disgust. She said, Mom, you mean where you go to the bathroom? That's where humans make a baby, where you go to the bathroom? Mom. Yes, I said, lowering my voice and looking around conspiratorially. I know. It's weird. It is weird. Gross, Mulan mumbled. Yeah, I know. It is. It is a little bit like having a waste treatment plant right next to an amusement park. <laughs> Terrible zoning. It's how we evolved. But mom, Mulan asked, how can this ever happen? Because mom, men and women, they could never be naked together. Well, I explained. When people are older, much, much, much older than a kid, for example, when they're much older and they both decide they want to in very certain circumstances, then they can be naked together. But how do they know when, Mulan asked. Like, does the man say, is now the time to take off my pants? <laughs> yes, I said. <laughs> That's exactly right. And to my great relief, Mulan seemed to be very comforted by this, and we began to eat again with gusto, and we moved on to other topics of conversation. But as we were driving home down Sunset Boulevard, past the bustling Hollywood streets full of people, Mulan asked, what if two people just walked up to each other on the street and just started doing it, Mom? I looked at her in the rearview mirror. Her eyebrows were furrowed, and she was looking at some people standing outside of Yogurtland. Oh, that would never happen, I said. At this point, I decided the best way to approach all questions was to pretend that I was Margaret Mead or some dispassionate anthropologist discussing the mating habits of some species other than our own. Then Mulan asked, well, what if you went to a party and there were a bunch of men and women and they just all started doing it, Mom? Would that ever happen? No, that would never happen, I said, because humans are very private. Mom, Mulan said, have you ever done this? Yes, I said flatly. But mom, you can't have children. That's true, I said. Well, you never have to do that again, <laughs> Mulan said. I said, well, if you really love someone and you're an adult, a, a much older adult, then, and you want, then you want to do it. There was a moment of silence, and Mulan stared out the window, deep in thought. 
but mom, how can people do that? I mean, how do their legs go? You know, not everyone can do the splits. <laughs> At this point, Mulan became somewhat obsessed with legs and sex. She could not figure out how it was physically possible. Finally, I said, Mulan, people figure the legs out. They just do. Oh, Mulan said, taking this in. She quieted down and we got home. When we got out of our car, our cat Val was sitting on the fr in the front yard soaking up the last bits of sunlight. She saw us and rolled onto her back. What about cats, Mulan asked. How do they do it? Oh, it's basically the same idea, I said. We walked in the front door and there was our dog, Arden, jumping up on us and licking my hand. What about dogs, Mulan asked. Oh, same thing, you know, it's just basically all the same thing for mammals. What about their legs? Mulan asked again. I go, look, I was now tired of this subject and clearly not thinking ahead. Maybe we can look on Wikipedia and it will show you. <laughs> so, we went out back to my office with a big computer screen. We went online and I typed in dogs mating. <laughs> I felt, I felt very thankful that I lived in a modern age where this was possible. And of course, on YouTube, there were thousands of videos. So we sat and watched a couple of them. Mulan was riveted. Her face was closer and closer to the computer screen. What about cats, she asked. We watched a few cat videos. <laughs> then she put her hand on my arm. Because it's funny because I, the way I remember this now is that it's in slow motion. And maybe that's because I had only at this time realized how incredibly stupid I was. And Milan asked with her open, sweet face, her innocent, inquiring face, Mom, do you think there might be any films of humans mating on the internet? taken my daughter by the hand and introduced her to the idea of internet porn. I was a monster for a mother. I looked at her and said, no, there would never be anything like that because humans are so private. suggested we go and have some dessert, which of course was teaching her that when issues about sex got awkward, food was really the answer. <laughs> Later that night, Mulan asked, well, wait a minute, what about Roger and Don? How do they do it? Roger and Don are a gay couple who are friends of ours. I said, I don't know. <laughs> she left. A little while later, she came back and said, Mom, I think I have an idea of how Roger and Don can do it. I said, oh, you do? But mom, she said, what about two girls? What about Eileen and Karen? Like, how do they do it? I don't know. I said meekly, trying to sound bored. Well, why don't you call Karen and ask her? Someone asked me, no. I said, trying, pretending to be reading the paper. Finally, Mulan came up to me and pushed her face close to mine. She looked disgusted. She said, Mom, aren't you even curious? <laughs> Thank you. Julia Sweeney, her upcoming book is If It's Not One Thing, It's Your Mother. This is Wits. I'm John Moe. Just ahead, crawl inside the mind of author Neil Gaiman and meet musician Josh Ritter's mummy.
This is Wits. I'm John Moe. Songwriter and storyteller Josh Ritter joined us on Wits. He played a song from his album So Runs the World Away, and it's a song about mummies. eyes, falls in love at first sight with the girl in the doorway. What beautiful lines and how full of life after thousands of years. What a face to wake up to. He holds back a sigh. She touches his arm. She dusts off the bed where till now he's been sleeping under miles of stone. The dried fig of his heart under scarab bone starts back to its beating She carries him home in a beautiful boat He watches the sea from a porthole in stowage He can hear all she says as she sits by his bed And one day his lips answer her in her own language The days quickly pass he loves making her laugh the first time he moves. It's her hair that he touches. She asks, you cursed? He says, I think that I'm cured. Then he talks of the Nile and the girls in bulrushes. In a glass-covered case He pretends he is dead People crowd round to see him But each night she comes round And the two wander down The halls of the tomb That she calls a museum Often he stops to rest Then less and less Then it's her that looks tired Staying up asking questions He learns how to read From the papers that she Is writing about him Corrections. It's his face on her book. More and more come to look. Families from Iowa, Upper West Siders. Then one day it's too much. He decides to get up, and as chaos ensues, he walks outside to find her. She's using a cane, and her face looks too pale. But she's happy to see him. As they walk, he supports her. She asks, Are You cursed? But his answer's obscured in a sandstorm of flashbulbs and rowdy reporters. Such reanimation, the two tour the nation. He gets out of limos, he meets other women. He speaks of her fondly, their nights in the museum. But she's just one more rag now, he's dragging behind him. She stops going out, she just lies there in bed in hotels and whatever towns they are speaking. Then her face starts to set and her hands start to fold in day the dried figure of her heart stops its beating long ago on the ship she asked why pyramids he said think of them as an immense invitation she asked are you cursed he said i think that i'm cured then he kissed her and hoped that she'd forget that question
That's Josh Ritter playing his song, The Curse. Josh is best known for his songwriting. He also wrote a novel called Bright's Passage. He was on stage at the Fitzgerald Theater with internationally acclaimed author Neil Gaiman. Neil, of course, wrote Coraline and the Sandman graphic novel series. We got Josh and Neil together to do what they do best, create stories about some of our favorite characters, in this case, from pop songs. So often in a song, there's more to a character than you have room to discuss, and the reader, the listener, whoever is left to imagine the story behind the character they briefly met. It's a moment of exquisite imagining that we will now wreck. (laughs) We're going to ask these two creative minds to give us the stories we never knew behind characters we've barely met, some friends of ours from popular song. Fill us in with the rest of the story, if you could. And uh, Neil, we'll start with you. Major Tom from David Bowie or his Elton John corollary, Rocket Man. Ah, yes. The, the I think it's going to be a long, long time, gentlemen. Yes. Yeah, oddly enough, not a lot of people know that actually uh, Rocket Man and Major Tom were the same person. Really? Yeah, it's, it's one of those weird things. First of all, he went, ah, oh, I think it's going to be a long, time, long, long time. Going to go up there. Mars is not a good place to raise a kid. Went on his little spacewalk. Something weird is happening, and everyone's saying, can you hear me, Major Tom? Can sure. you hear me, Major Tom? Can you hear me, Major Tom? It ends before he says, yeah, I can hear you fine. I'll be back in, in five. Um, <laughs> these days, mostly what he does is late-night television pitches. You know, can you hear me, everybody? Uh, I've gone 100,000 miles. Exactly. <laughs> well, uh, uh, Josh Ritter, let's switch over to you then. Fill us in on the rest of the story behind uh, Allison from the Elvis Costello song. Well, uh, I, I travel a lot, in, uh, and I play a lot in Ireland. You know, they have a thing called a lock-in, which you go and you, you play music until, like, midnight or 1 o'clock when they shut down the, the pub, and then they close, and then you keep on drinking. And then around 4 in the morning, you get out the archery set, <laughs> and you find volunteers, and, and there's never any problem. Everybody wants to, you know, to put the apple on their head. And... <laughs> Elvis Costello, you know, is one of the greatest uh, kind of 4 a.m. archers, and <laughs> except for a few times, and and what what you're trying to say is is there was a time when his aim was not true. Yeah, he, his <laughs> my aim is his, generally true. Yep. His yeah, it was he was his confidence was great. <laughs> okay, I guess. <laughs> I guess she's afraid of the world that is killing her. Um, uh, Neil, let's, uh, let's visit the Beatles catalog with you. Fill us in on Eleanor Rigby. Eleanor Rigby, the one who, you know, hung around graveyards, um, is, is best known for wearing a face that she kept in a jar by the door. Sure. And, um, <laughs> you know, the... the for a long time, uh, the papers of, of Liverpool, where the Beatles came from, was filled with the, the, you know, these headlines about somebody who was killing people, cutting off their faces, <laughs> keeping them in jars by the door. <laughs> and they weren't ever able to figure out that the strange little old lady who hung around the churchyard wearing these weird, mushy faces, <laughs> often covered with jam or honey, um, <laughs> was actually the woman they called the face cutter offer. <laughs> it's, I'm always impressed with the, uh, with the terms that the British come up with. Yeah, we had Jack beautiful, the Ripper, you know. Eleanor the face cutter the, offer. The face cutter offer. It was, it's like the Boston Strangler. She was the Liverpool face cutter offer. <laughs> well, as, as long as we're, we're talking about... Uh, Maybe along the same lines, then, uh, Josh Ritter, how about the man-eater from Hall & Oates? Oh. Wow. I understand she only comes out at night. Well, you'd think so. Yeah, I... She also uh, cuts a lot of people's hair, like pop singers, like Hall & Oates, and you can definitely tell if you look at pictures. I don't really know too much about about the man-eater, you know, because it's usually dark. But I do know that that record, that song is on, I think that's on their first record, which is like called, Oh Dear God, Please Somebody Let Us Out of This Basement. 
there's, <laughs> there's a man-eater down here. <laughs> what, what were some other Hollow Notes songs on that particular album? <laughs> the, uh, uh, the, the, the beautiful song, Og, She's Got My Leg. Og, She's Got My Leg. Who Needs Fingers? Right. Beautiful. Oh, God, not the furnace again. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm kind of glad they branched out from that, actually. There was, yeah. God, I believe uh, Morrissey helped them out on that. Um, <laughs> uh, His album Murder is Murder. Neil, we'll stay with an, another uh, British artist here, uh, Rod Stewart. Uh, Maggie May. Oh, yeah, that was, that was unfortunate. Unfortunate? Um, well, you know, the, the, our narrator in Maggie May, um, you know, the one who's saying, wake up, Maggie, you know, yeah. I, it's late September, I really have to be getting back to school. He was 11. Oh. And, um... Well, you know, I, I, I had the lyrics here, and I, and I wondered, you know, if you could fill us in, because some of this gets a little game and ask. You stole my heart, I couldn't leave you if I tried. You stole my soul, and that's a pain I can do without. Is, is know, there witchcraft involved here? Well, there is. Anybody who, who knows anything at all about the career of Rod Stewart can see there is witchcraft involved. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the, the amazing thing about Rod Stewart is after his heart was stolen and his soul was stolen when he was 11 by, by Maggie May, um, his hair has not aged a day. Okay. He's getting strange and wrinkly, but the hair right. is still the hair of a 20-year-old. And, you know, there, there are people who say that at night it creeps off <laughs> to suck the blood of people who've been shot in the head by Irishmen practicing archery in pubs. Um, I see, I always thought that was just a story to tell the children. Um, and, uh, and finally, Josh, uh, back to you. Um, how about uh, Jack and Diane? Jack and Diane is a kind of a classic American love story uh, that started way beyond, uh, before, before we meet them uh, out behind the Tasty Freeze. So uh, there's uh, Jack and, and Diane, who actually uh, met at Camp Mellencamp. <laughs> you were a counselor there one time, weren't you, John? I was. It was, it was a good time. Yeah, those, you know, a lot of paper and fire. And um, <laughs> so, so yeah, they 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 grew up in in making lanyards and carving canoes and doing all that sorts of things. He he initially he went on to become a doctor, and uh, she uh, became a bartender on the show Cheers. So, okay. So. Wow. I... Well, gentlemen, thank you for allowing us to finally listen to songs the right way. Neil Gaiman and Josh Ritter, everyone. <laughs> and um, Josh, why don't, you, uh, why don't you give us some music that, uh, that doesn't require additional explanation here. Once again, here's Josh Ritter. a little harder Pretend the dove from above is a dragon and your feet are on fire 
I got a girl in the war for the only thing I know to do is turn up the music and pray that she makes it through because the keys to the kingdom got locked inside the kingdom and the angels fly around in there and we can't see them and I got a girl in the war Paul I know that they can hear me yell if they can't find a way to help her they can go to hell They can't find a way to help her, they can go to hell. Paul said to Peter, you gotta rock yourself a little harder. Pretend the dove from above is a dragon and your feet are on fire. But I got a girl in the war, Paul, her eyes are like champagne. They sparkle bubble over and in the morning all you got is rain. Sparkle bubble over and in the morning all you got is rain. They sparkle bubble over and in the morning all you got is rain. Hey. Songwriter Josh Ritter performing Girl in the War from his album The Animal Years. Josh has a new album coming out in March called The Beast in Its Tracks. On stage there with Josh was Neil Gaiman, author of American Gods, The Graveyard Book, Neverwhere, The Sandman graphic novels. I could go on and on and on. Neil writes a lot of books. We also heard this hour from The Mountain Goats, John Hodgman, Julia Sweeney, and Patton Oswalt. You can find us online at witsradio.org. We're on Twitter, at Wits, and we're on Facebook. Just go on Facebook and search for Wits. You'll find us. Wits is developed by Tony Bowl and Peter Clowney and is a production of APM, American Public Media, and Minnesota Public Radio. The senior producer is Larissa Anderson, and Rob Byers is the technical director. I'm John Moe. Bye now. <laughs>